It's Seacoast Real Talk with John Rice. Exploring Southern Maine and New Hampshire Seacoast real estate and real life. He's the recognized expert of the Seacoast market with the kind of insight that only comes with 47 years of experience. From Tate & Foss, Sotheby's International Realty in Rye, New Hampshire, it's John Rice. Hello, everybody. It's John Rice along with Sean Fellows. Glad you're listening wherever you are in the world. I understand we have people, listeners from all over the world, and we have a growing number of folks who are listening to us, and we're very thankful for that. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. It's the power of podcasts. I had to say that. It's true. There's, <laughs> a, lo- there's a lot of power in podcasts, especially podcasts for business. We have an excellent episode today. We're going to talk about antique homes. And if you know anything about New England, New Hampshire, Maine, it's chock full of antique homes. There's so much to talk about, the the pros, the cons, and everything in between. First, we're going to have your market review, though, John. Tell us what's going on. All right. Well, we'll just take a look at January. We'll drill down on that. We're talking at the 13 sample seacoast towns, which are Exeter, Greenland, Hampton, Hampton Falls, Newcastle, Newfields, Newington, Northampton, Newmarket, Portsmouth, Rye, Seabrook, and Stratum. So all of you who are Real Talk groupies would recognize those villages. And for the month, we were up 6.6% from last year. But this was due to an unusual record number of million-dollar sales. And there were some interesting million-dollar sales to be had. And they were scattered among seven different towns. At 98 Beach Hill Road in Newcastle, you had the highest at $6.495 million. And actually, the highest sale in Portsmouth. Portsmouth usually generates the highest million-dollar sale or comes in second or third, but they were way down on the list that 730000 was the most paid for a home, just Ooh. a quirk of fate. Yeah. Inventory levels were up 40.3% for the month. The January median price of a single-family home was 610000 and that's up 10.9% from last year. So that follows a national trend of, of inventory going up and prices going up, and actually we sort of bucked the national trend by having sales go up here, whereas most, if you read NAR stats and Lawrence Yun, et cetera, the sales are down. The reason for that here is because of million-dollar homes. Right. The condominium inventory more than doubled last year's total, so it's like 97 condos available as opposed to 48 from last year. But there were only 20 closings, fewest since 2011. So in many ways, it's a typical January here, kind of a, a modest number of sales. And it's nice to see that we're actually slightly ahead of last year. And when you talk about the inventory being up almost 100% for condos, you say, oh, the inventory crisis is over. But if you do a brief check going through my voluminous records of the past, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. we had, are you ready for this, Sean? 10 years ago, we had 550 listings in the Whoa. month of January. That's so, quite the uh, quite the difference there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, so that gives you a, an idea of uh, you know, yeah, sure we we were up from where we were, but that's still an inventory crisis and that still kind of points to a uh, seller's market even though all of that is changing. This is this is a real difficult market to get your arms around. And uh, we'll try to break that down for you. I think that's great that you brought up the statistics from 10 years ago. It just really shows 
how even though things can go up 40%, it's still not much of an impact given how low inventory levels have been. Exactly, yeah. And I think the key thing also is that interest rates, as we start January, are more than double what they were last January. Exactly. So that is a big wet blanket on uh, our little party here. Uh, Interest rates a year ago were about 3.3, and now they are 6.769. You know, they're not—it's not like like it's a consistent curve going up. It fluctuates. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's a difficult situation for buyers when they're financing. The one thing in favor of interest rates going down is that, you know, the reason why they were raised in the first place was to cool off the economy. And that's definitely happened. They've succeeded in really— cooling off the the real Mm -hmm. estate market. That being said, you would expect the interest rates to trend down, but there's a ways to go there. Let's take a look back and see where we were in last year, 2022. Sure. Then we'll take a look at where we might be going in 2023. Last year, we had inventory setting records for the fewest available units through September. Until June, we had uh, that when we had the highest number of available units in 10 months. So it was starting in the June timeframe, last year, that's when the inventory situation began to turn around. But nevertheless, we had the slowest November, and I think we may have talked about that before since 2015. The million-dollar market, we've already talked about that on this uh, podcast, but they propped up the sales totals uh, all year long. In fact, 15 of 30 New Hampshire coastal communities had sales of $2 million or more last year. Rye was the most expensive place to live with a median of $2.65 million. Days on the market, well, we know that in some cases uh, you were on the market for minus two hours or something, but uh, um, the uh, average was, uh, the lowest average was 12 in Greenland, and it went up to 104 in Newcastle, which also had the area's second highest median price of 1.795. Going across the river, all of uh, Maine's coastal communities saw sales in excess of $2 million, with the biggest one coming in Kennebunkport at 6.95. And if you're looking for a place affordable in Maine, mm-hmm. uh, the Berwicks are, are out there, and they have some—there's some good good stuff about the Berwicks. We might even do a program on them, although it's a little bit of a road trip to get up there. But the median price is uh, in the fours for the Berwicks. Okay, that's reasonable. So— Back into 2023, we Mm -hmm. talked about interest rates are now up. And I don't know whether we mentioned it, but we began the year with the biggest sale in the history of real estate in the state of New Hampshire. And it was right in Rye, $25 million for a waterfront property on Straws Point. 25 million big ones. And uh, people are saying we may not see that the the likes of that in a long time. Mm. I mean, that's clearly an emotional sale, I think. And I, I would only speculate as to what the forces were that drove that, but it was a remarkable property. Part of what might be driving it is the, uh, and I did an interview on this, was the Massachusetts Massachusetts Millionaire's Tax. And this is something you're going to be hearing about more and more. And the state of Massachusetts has imposed a 4% surtax on people who make a million dollars or more. So everything over that million-dollar threshold gets taxed an additional 4%. They have a flat tax in Massachusetts of 5% on your taxable income. So when you go over a million dollars of taxable income, now your tax rate 
is 9%. According to brokers in the know, we're starting to see buyers showing up from Massachusetts in that elite price range looking for property here in in New Hampshire where there is no income tax. Mm -hmm. So barring a catastrophe in our economy and assuming consumer confidence remains high, we could have a really could have a decent spring market as consumers have more product to choose from, albeit one-fifth of what they had 10 years ago to choose from. And on the other hand, though, as long as interest rates and median sale prices remain high, any spring rally we might see could, I think, could be modest. Inevitably, we could see a downward pressure on ass prices. Given just some recent experience to start the year, uh, the right properties in the right location are still seeing multiple offer escalation in pricing. Uh, So I think it's going to be those properties are still going to get maximum value, but Mm -hmm. those ones that were, you know, fringe properties now may stay on market for a few days, see more price reductions at that mark. But, you know, in Rye, the right property, I think is still going to, you're going to see prices escalate from, you know, what it was listed at to what it sells Mm -hmm. for, depending on what, if it's priced accordingly. Mm -hmm. You know, pricing strategy is incredibly important in this market versus before two years ago, you could just put something on the market and the market would determine the value. It could sell for a million dollars more as it did on South Road. As we saw. Yep. All the more reason to have Sean and John on your side when you're trying <laughs> to do these things. Seriously, you really don't want to go this alone. You really yeah, want a professional on your side. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. The big inventory thing is still 80 listings is not a heck of a lot of listings. And not historically, it's still modest. And so you're still going to, there's still going to be pressure on buyers, but those playing in the game are fewer because of the affordability of mortgages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little cooler, but you're at, you, Sean, I think you're absolutely right. You're going to have a lot of interest in prime property and prime locations, for sure. We talk about where I might have been in the last month on media-wise. Yes. and yeah. Did a podcast with Roger Wood. In, it's called In-Depth New Hampshire. So if you want to Google John Rice, Roger Wood, In-Depth New Hampshire. I will have that in you, the show notes for people. Yep. They can click right onto that, that it. Was, yep. It was published in January 2023, so there's an uh, article there. And we've been also talked about in the Herald and New Hampshire Business Review on the millionaire's tax. Talked about that. Great. You want to buy an antique home. This story is inspired by one of our listeners, oh, which cool. we like to we like to hear. And they want to know about the ins and outs of buying a Seacoast Holder home. So we're glad to oblige. In fact, over my 50 years of selling real estate, I've, I've marketed and helped buyers with numerous antiques on both sides of the river. And I grew up in one and I bought one. So if we define an antique home as being at least 100 years old, okay. let's, just start, let's just start with that threshold. You can find them literally in pretty much every town in New Hampshire and Maine, in the Seacoast area. The trick is to find an old property that's not directly on a busy street. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter where you look. Most older properties tend to be situated that way. So the first thing I would want to know is how busy and noisy is that street that this property is on? Is it a good location anyway, such as uh, the Portsmouth South End or parts of Exeter? Uh, just for starters. Mm-hmm. This is where your real estate agent can help, and Sean and I would be more than happy to help you with that. Antique home buyers seek a certain patina that is not found with new construction, and that is like charm, character, mm-hmm. finish work, antique beauty, stuff like uh, chair rails, mm-hmm. real plaster walls, wide pine floors, triple crown moldings, fluting around fireplaces, multiple working fireplaces, 
interesting fenestration, which is to say windows. Timeless beauty can yeah. be found in the region's older housing stock. Uh, and also, for some people, actual historical significance is important. But unfortunately, uh, by the way, George Washington did not visit every old house in New Hampshire when he stopped by <laughs> for a few days in November 1789. In fact, uh, he only lived in one or two houses, or maybe just one in Portsmouth when he was visiting here. And, but he visited a few of the major properties when he was in Portsmouth. And I'm, I'm not sure he even stopped on his way out the door. I think he went right on through Exeter and went back to Massachusetts and came in that way to Portsmouth. And I don't think he made any overnight stops in, the, in our state other than that. Mm. The best way to determine historic significance is through research. You can Google a local historical society to do that. There are two local Bibles for that sort of thing around in our area, in the Piscataqua area. One is John Mead Howell's book, Architectural History of the Piscataqua, and another is Professor Richard Candy, who is still with us, and you can Google him. He wrote a book called Building Portsmouth, which I've given to people as a closing present to people who buy older homes, because it really is a very cool book. And I'm sure there are other books that can help, but those two are the real Bibles. Okay. No matter how much character and beauty an antique home has, condition is the most important key to value next to location. And this becomes more important today because at $400 a square foot thereabouts to renovate and update an older home, expenses can quickly mount. Now, when I bought my first home in 17, uh, 1739 Colonial in the North Mill Pond in Portsmouth for $35,000, Back in 1985, I think it was, something like that. To this day, I miss the character of the place, the cozy living room, the fireplace that was working, and the beautiful views of the North Mill Pond. But as time went on, I discovered that there was lots of stuff that needed to be done. The, the foundation, for one thing, was crumbling. The kitchen and master bath were inadequate. The roof needed to be replaced. And both large chimneys, which were huge, they were 14-foot chimneys on either end, they had to be rebuilt. And that was just for starters. Wow. So hence I offer this laundry list of things to look for when contemplating the purchase of an older home. Perfect. Talked about the roof, the chimneys, and are the chimneys lined? Rot is a huge thing with older homes, naturally. What's the rot situation and the condition of the window sash and the clapboards? Home inspectors look for stuff like knob and tube wiring, which makes it difficult. When you have knob and tube wiring, it's difficult to get your house insured. Lead paint asbestos, mold, powder post beetles, termite or carpenter ant, and carpenter bees, which we see. Mm. Are the sills intact? That can drive up expense if you have a mushy sill. If you're out buying out in the country, the condition of the septic and, of course, electrical panels. Is there adequate power to the residents? Uh, utilities up to date with reasonable life expectancy beyond closing. And another thing we see a lot of is now, today, in Portsmouth, where you have sewers, our, our buyers scoping the sewer lines from the house to the sewer to ensure proper location. I've seen a number of deals crumble because of inadequacy in the sewer line, and it's um, many instances the pipe from the house to the sewer line where the deficiency exists is the buyer's responsibility to, or the seller, whoever, to fix and pay as opposed to the town. This will also sound strange, but is the house haunted? 
Uh, we, we could do a whole show on about that. I, I have sold a haunted house before. I've sold a house that was mildly stigmatized. Oh, my. Uh, and sometimes that's without justification, and you have to understand what's the reason it was stigmatized. In this case, there was a suicide, or an apparent suicide in the house, and um, I was unaware of that. You, you need to be aware if there is some kind of stigmatization. Oh. Uh, so, and on the flip side of things, some antiques have been so renovated and refurbished, they aren't really old at all. They're just new houses in an old-looking shell. So that kind of stuff is a big turnoff for uh, buyers looking for authenticity. And finally, in terms of your investment, I did a little research on that, numbers that I like. And in, mm-hmm. in 2001, the average cost of an antique single-family home was 845 And the Captain Thomas house in Portsmouth sold for $4.15 million. That was in 2021. The average cost of a newer home was seven forty-seven. In twenty twenty-two, the average price of a newer single-family home had gone up to eight fifty-six seven three one, and an older home had gone up to just over nine hundred thousand. So, and we had two antique sales last year in Newcastle that topped three million. This is exclusive okay. of the, that big sale we talked about on Beach Hill Road, which was not an old house. So over those two years, antiques appreciated at a 6.6% rate, while newer homes appreciated at a 14.7% rate. And I think that's always the way it's been over the years, that newer homes, for whatever reason, for lots of reasons actually, appreciate at a higher rate than older homes do. And so in summary, when purchasing an, an older home, there's a lot of stuff to think about. And uh, it's definitely true that they just don't build them like that anymore. But be sure to do your homework. And again, get help from someone like John or Sean, somebody who knows the ins and outs of those old homes. With the antique homes that John just spoke about, you know, a lot of these reside in historic districts. So in Portsmouth and Exeter come to mind for me, uh, having had recent sales there, that both of these homes were in the historic districts of these towns. Uh, So these are designated uh, by local ordinances, and there are rules to follow. But the reason that these are in place is because it preserves the charm and the character of these homes and these sections of towns, whether, you know, along with the streets. And it it gives a good sense of community as well. And it's a good point that you mentioned the historic district, because on the one hand, Mr. Byer uh, says this is in the historic district. This is really cool. I'm in this wonderful preserved area. On the other hand, the ordinances... Uh, are going to restrict what you can do the exterior of the house or an addition. Let's just say Mr. Buyer comes in and finds the house is inadequate, wants to blow up out the house. Well, that may not be possible. Or they look at the siding and say, oh, man, this siding's in terrible shape, and clapboard is so expensive, I think I just want to vinyl over the house. Mm-mm. Can't. No way can you vinyl over the house. Or they look at a window and and these old true divided light windows and the, and they notice the rot and they want to replace it well you can't replace the true divided light windows with windows that have mullions that pop out so i mean or you know they they the the mullions that are glued to the glass in portsmouth i'm talking my experience is basically with portsmouth and and historic ordinances by the way differ dramatically from town to town, and in some instances, they are really subjective. And you can sit in front of an historic district commission, and one commissioner will say something like, 
well, I don't like the way that looks, and you're sunk. Oh. Whereas, whereas in Portsmouth, they may say that, but they also have to rely on what the ordinance says, what the precedent is. So that's a good thing. But I think you you got to if you're buying an, an older home and you're being swept away by the romance of it all, just remember the the things that we've we've said on this program today. A the the things that you're going to get into structurally, and B if you're buying in an historic district, the ordinance the, that you're going to be under the purview of. So it's kind of like an antique homeowners association. It sounds like that someone's exactly. going, someone's going to say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you're not going to paint exactly. that red. It has to be either white or gray or whatever." And that could be tricky. Some people might love that. They, "Oh, I love that we're maintaining the integrity of this antique home in that time period." And some people, if you like to do things in purple, then, you know, don't do it. Don't buy an antique home. That's right. what it seems like right. to me. Although that varies, having you talk about painting a house, some historic districts say you can't paint it chartreuse, so you can't you can't paint it with purple with pink polka dots. Right, Portsmouth they don't care. Okay, what you paint it because it's it's not a permanent thing. But uh, make a structural change, yes, we do care about that. So there there are differences in the ordinance, but so buyer beware, caveat emptor. Yes, absolutely. One of the first things I learned fifty two years ago. <laughs> so. But I would say there's a lot of benefits to buying in a historical district versus buying an antique home outside of a historical district as well, because you never know what could come in and change right next door to you versus this historical district where you know what you're getting into, you know what the future value of your home is going to be. So it's going to maintain that value in this historical district as an antique home versus, you know, antique home outside of a historical district. There's more knowns going forward mm. than unknowns, I would say. And Sean is absolutely right about preserving your value. You buy a, the consistency of the architecture in an historic district does preserve value. So when people are moaning about the ordinance and, oh, I can't do this without presenting an application in triplicate and waiting two months before the HDC meet, meets to review my uh, application, think about the value that they are also preserving. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So within Portsmouth, I mean, you need to submit a building permit application, the historic district commission application, 11 sets of photos, 11 copies of structure oh, elevations, yeah. what your, you know, materials that are going to be used, architectural drawings, yep. site plans, demolition, yep. if you're going to do any, and then size of windows, brand, material, manufacturer. I mean, you know, the list goes on right. and you have to time it right because they meet once a month mm. and you have to have your application right. in a week before they meet. So. Yes, it's a long timeline. If you're looking for a quick renovation in one of these situations, it's very unlikely. Okay. And full disclosure, I was the chair of the Portsmouth Historic District <laughs> Commission. <laughs> so you know a thing or two. So I know a thing or two. I would simply say, if, you, uh, if you're if you a buyer out there and, got, and you're, you're buying a house in any historic district where there is a commission that's going to be reviewing your design, you are better off requesting a work session first. Save yourself a lot of money before you have expensive finalized drawings get done. the thumbs up before you do all the the exactly. work essentially yeah yeah that's right smart right okay yep. that is so in, important that's in, called insider info right there yeah yeah there yeah. you are there you, you have are your ducks that are red <laughs> that's great okay yeah sean has some interesting news that i'm sure he would like to share with everyone sean i'm happy to announce that uh, i'm now licensed in the state of maine that happened I believe it's already February 21st, so earlier this month. So now I can serve both Seacoast, New Hampshire, and Seacoast, Maine communities. So if you ever want to know kind of the differences between the two states and, you know, the benefits and of living in both, you know, happy to provide that info for anybody. 
Absolutely. Congratulations, Sean. Welcome to the main uh, family of fine real estate agents. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. Anything else on any of this? No, there's yeah. a lot of good info in that. There's really a lot of good, good info. info. And we could go on, you could go on forever about how to how to appear before an historic district commission. Oh, you know, I'm stuff sure. Stuff like that. If somebody wanted to know the ins and outs of that in real estate, we can definitely chat about that. But I'm, you know, I'm feeling a hankering towards uh, spring now yes. and uh, with a big blizzard coming on. That's, uh, I can't help but think that May and June won't be too far behind. And real talk is, uh, ready to uh, help you out and help you to enjoy uh, your summer months with our next podcast. Beaches. A, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> beaches, beaches, have, and more beaches, apparently. Right. I've put together a pretty nice little glossary of beaches and things you can and can't do, and I'm sure Sean will be able to chime in on this as well. That's uh, yes, yeah. spend a lot of time at the beach all year round. So with your and you Not, have your new look daughter, you, so you must go to the beach a lot with with her. Yep, she'll be going a lot this summer. Oh, so yeah, get them used to that water right away. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Sand in the hair and the toes. Yeah, she'll be ready to go. Oh, that's so precious. I love that. All right, John and Sean, both tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. It'll also be in the show notes, but tell people how they can get a hold well, of you. The easiest way to get a hold of me is jrice at tateandfoss, A-N-D-Foss, F-O-S-S dot com. My email, sfellows, F-E-L-L-O-W-S, at tateandfoss.com, or my cell phone, call or text 603-616-6885. Quickly to respond on both. John, do you want to give a phone number? Yeah, 603-498-4034. Okay. Well, until next time, stay safe. Stay warm. Uh, enjoy the blizzard because then you'll have some good skiing and some fun, beautiful right. white landscape. Uh, but in the meantime, have a good couple of months and we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, thanks John. John. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Seacoast Real Talk with John Rice. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are published quarterly. For help with your podcast, find Modcast Productions on the web at modcastproductions.com.